With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana and you're listening to the Mall Over Cotpast. Hi guys, um, unfortunately I think I'm going to miss the podcast recording this week, I've got to do some vetty things up country, um, and just thought I'd try and record some random thoughts in, a, in an Eddie Stevens style, but with uh, less bitter talk about an ex-wife and d- masturbating dogs and stuff like that, so yeah, keep it a little bit cleaner. Um, so yeah... I haven't watched a huge amount of rugby, to be honest, which is one of the things I wanted to talk about. And that's, we just get to this point of the season where, for me, kind of rugby just dips off a bit in interest. Like, don't get me wrong, I still love rugby. I spent the whole day yesterday doing the um, the New England Rugby Coaching Award, um, six hours out in the sunshine, chucking a ball around, talking about coaching kids. Um really enjoyable. I still really love rugby. Just the, the premiership just loses a bit of interest for me. Um, and I think it's because there's so many meaningless games and there's so many teams that are, that are kind of mailing it in to the point where, where, where I mean, Gloucester haven't even played for two weeks because they've, they've gone and deliberately caught COVID to give themselves a bit of time off and go on holiday early because the season doesn't really matter for them. Um, I mean, I barely noticed the fact that there's only four matches being played this weekend. Uh, and for a lot of those teams, it's their last games. It doesn't really make a difference whether they go go positive or negative. And realistically, it's it's been a bit like this for, for a bit longer this season, which I think really does shout against the whole kind of ring-fencing idea. Um, I get the counter-argument that a lot of people are making in that Barring Saracens at the moment, any team that comes up, it's really going to be a bit of a yo-yo team. They're going to be up and down. They're probably going to be up and then down for quite some time um, because they don't have the resources and there's not enough funding working its way down through the pyramid to to keep kind of keep that stability and have a strong enough teams coming up without a massive financial backer. But for me, as much of the jeopardy is about who goes down rather than who goes up. Um, and I think when you get to the point where you ring fence, you for for half of the teams, 
They don't really have anything to play for for the last few games of the season. They're either secure in Europe and not going to make the semis or they're safe from relegation and they're not going to make Europe. And and it just gets to the point where it, it kind of ruins the tail end of the season a little bit for me. But anyway, that's that's enough on that. Um, I did watch the uh, the Exeter Sale game. Um, I'll say it again, Sale are turning into a really good side. Um, super intensity in the way they were playing. They were quite unfortunate with a couple of injuries in the first kind of 20 minutes or so. But playing this real intense, Saracens like rugby, to be honest. It's that model that, that's been driven by Saracens that Sanderson's taken up there. But it's it, it's super impressive how they deliver it. Um, they are... They're very good at it. And AJ McGinty, I think, is probably the perfect 10 for them in that regard. Um, he's doing exactly what uh, what he should be doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think in that regard, I've got a lot of time for sale. And Exeter just seemed a bit flat. And it wasn't really until they got the red card for Skinner that, that Exeter really seemed to, to kind of get a bit of buzz about them and it was the same last week against Northampton that in fact it's been the same for most of the season they're a bit flat and they're kind of relying on fitness core skills etc to to get enough enough wins under their belts and enough results um positive results to get them into the uh into the semis and the in the playoffs um and yeah, I don't know whether it's coming off the back of everything that's happened with COVID or um, whether there's certain key players that aren't aren't really able to kind of pump things up. But they, it seems to be they need a trigger to, to get them going. Um, and part of that's got to sit on Baxter's shoulders, I suppose. Um, but uh, when they do get going, they're, they're pretty much unbeatable. And it's it just seems a bit strange that they're a bit flat and... and um, I'm sure they're they're trying their hardest to work out what's causing that, um, but uh, yeah, it made it made for a pretty interesting game of rugby. To be honest, good game of rugby, enjoyable to watch. Um, again, going against all these people who believe that for a game of rugby to be enjoyable, it's got to be sixty three points to twenty seven or something bonkers. Um, don't want to spend too long talking about the red cards, uh, or the red card rather, other than to say. I think Carl Dixon potentially went a bit lenient on uh, debuters in the first half. Um, it, bearing in mind all that we've said over the last few weeks that actually a mistimed or a mistake tackle we probably don't think should be a red card. I don't think should probably be a red card. But with working within the, the framework and the flow chart and the rules that are there at the moment, I don't think as much as Hammersley was spinning... I don't think him spinning materially changed the direction of his head or the angle of his head. And I think Ewers was probably a little bit lucky there. Um, I think the yellow card was the right result, but I don't think I'd have grumbled too much or had too many, too many groans for grumbling if, if it was red. Whereas I think the Skinner one was completely the opposite, where I'm pretty sure it was Ben Moon has tackled Faf to Clerk. His head's dropped about two foot from a fairly low height already coming directly towards Skinner. Now, the physics of him hinging at his hips and the time at which it takes to do that, I don't think he could physically have got down low enough to not have had initial contact with the clerk's head or neck area. His Literally, probably his only option to avoid that would be to have stepped away from him as, he's, as he was falling, which is a completely alien concept. So 
yeah, I just don't, I'm not convinced by that as a red card. I, I, I see why it's contact to the head and something needs to be given. But I think Dixon probably got them both the wrong way around. Um, I mean, let's be honest, he isn't the greatest referee there is. I th- like many people, I thought when he first started, he was pretty good as a ref. But I think his, his performances have tailed off fairly quickly or certainly plateaued. Um, and I'd say that they're, they're probably as bad as anybody else in the Premiership, um, if not worse. But uh, hang on. sorry about that. But uh, yeah, he's um, probably one of the worst referees out there. And but there is a relatively small pool of referees that that the Premiership can pull from, and I think that's part of the issue, to be honest. Um, but yeah, obviously Exeter ended up winning that game, got themselves a home semi-final uh, rematch following week. I think I think Exeter will. Uh, sorry, it's my brother trying to get a hold of me. I think Exeter will um, probably repeat the result again because I think they've they've seen that bit of motivation to keep driving it forwards. But I mean, if if Sale do go and win it, then I'm sure it'll be because they've playing really well um uh, the other the other game of note or point that I wanted to make or a couple of points was I mean Harlequins stuck a boatload of points on a on a team again this week don't get me wrong Harlequins are a really super attacking force for rugby but they are very very soft they're very soft in the in the rolling malls, they're very soft around the fringes, and they're very soft broken play. Um, it was Newcastle they're playing, and Radwan scored a try where broken field, and I think he got the ball somewhere around the halfway line, and he broke through about four or five half tackles. Now Radwan's rapid, um, and he, he'll see a space, but there was a lot of weak shoulders there. A lot of weak shoulders, a lot of forearms, a lot of not necessarily getting close enough. They don't, they just don't look like they, they enjoy fucking. Over. They just don't look like they enjoy um, the contact side of rugby. It looks like they'd be much happier playing sevens. With most of their players, um, and part of that's got to come from culture of the club, uh, and and you see, and you see all of the the good teams that dominate, um, whether that be. South Africa when they're playing at their best, whether that be the All Blacks when they were playing fantastically well, the Hurricanes, Exeter, Saracens. When you see these teams that do well and do well consistently, um, roll the clock back to the 90s and both Leicester and Bath, and in partic- but in particular Leicester, they were built on really solid foundations. They were built on a solid, heavyweight, slightly bordering on the edge of being a bit punchy front five and a back row that just love the dirty work. Um, and when you look at the comparison between uh, Sale and Exeter and Harlequins, Sale and Exeter have got that in, a, in an absolute abundance um, and Harlequins just don't have it. And, they, and it's not a lack of, it's not the wrong players. Um, I can't believe it's the wrong players because the physically there's not much between the players. It's, it's about kind of the attitude and how and the, and the culture of them. And I think it's why you're seeing massive strides being made at Leicester with Borthwick there. You've got Sanderson at, 
uh, Sale, who's taken them from a side that was very good at home and, and flattering to deceive away from home um, under the previous regime that is that is now absolutely flying. Um, and you've got Exeter who are doing exactly the same and, and I fully envisage Saracens to be doing it again next year. It's based, the, the, the very foundations of it are on having some people who thrive on dominating contact. And I just don't see that at Harlequins. And, and I mean, Christ, Harlequins may scrape a win against Bristol. I don't think they will. Um, I'd be very surprised if they do. They're not going to scrape a win against Bristol and then scrape a win against either Exeter or Sale and end up winning the championship. And I don't think they ever will until they get a bit more old school grumpiness in the front five and a bit more of a back row who want to... Uh, want to absolutely dominate some collisions. Uh, they've got some great groundwork exponents. They've got some great um, opportunist turnover people. But those opportunities only ever come up if you dominate the collision in the first place. And I think that's something that they're, they're missing. Um, obviously, we've glossed over Bristol because they haven't played. But I'm sure Pat Lamb will tell you that, that the importance of their front five and someone like Dan Thomas, who's who will make a shed load of tackles every game and push people back with his tackles and that kind of aggressive defence. Defence ultimately is what wins championships. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the premiership really. Um, Saracens Ealing in the championship playoff. I mean, Christ, it's as one-sided a playoff game as you're likely to see. But then, as as people have said, that Ealing side would do a number on a... On a reasonable proportion of the premiership teams, particularly if they got a couple of signings in and they would be certainly worthy of getting a an opportunity at it. But they're playing against a team round full of internationals and and top internationals. So yeah, fair play to Saracens. They've taken their punishment. They've spent their time in the championship. They've won it quite convincingly, I would guess, from the, the playoff games. Um only lost that initial game against the Pirates when they were playing effectively a second team. Uh and they deserve to come back up and yeah, they'll they'll probably be teased about the financial irregularities until my generation can't talk any longer. Um but as far as I'm concerned, what's done is done, they've paid their price. Um and I think the premiership will be a better brand for having them in it. My biggest issue is the fact that PRL and the RFU will bend over backwards to get them in it to the point where the day before or the morning of that championship playoff game, you've got them coming out and saying that Ealing won't even get, get promoted even if they win it because their ground's not up to standards. But, I mean, that's no different from the way it's always been. The rules are a bit of a farce in that most teams don't get 10,000 to every game anyway. Um, but they would have found some way, they wouldn't have turned down promotion to not to not kind of potentially borrow somebody else's stadium whilst they're looking at what they can do about their own. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a bit of a farce anyway. Um, and then we've got the news today that the RFU are going to be trialling next year, reducing tackle heights to below the waist, which is just fucking ridiculous as far as I'm concerned for a number of reasons. Um, knees, hips... Things that move that are bony will be clonking with heads and I think it will actually be worse for injuries. 
Um, we've got a number of measures that have been put in place to try and reduce the risk of injuries and concussions and more importantly, CTEs, so repeated concussions and the knock-on effects. And we haven't given them a chance to see whether they've made a blind bit of difference anyway. And physically, temporally and physically on the pitch, there are just some times where you cannot get physically get below the waist of a player. You've got, you got Luke Karandicki picking and going from three metres out. How are you going to get below his waist? It's just not physically possible whilst keeping yourself on side. It, it, it'll ruin the game of rugby. Um, and the, the reality is, if, if that's the case, you're going to have a load of people who are four foot six running around playing rugby because they'll be so much harder to tackle. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of losing it with the, uh, the desire to ruin rugby. Um, and I suppose that's as good a time as any to, to say thank you. And hopefully I'll be there with the rest of the team next week. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Mall Over podcast. The only rugby podcast gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast, Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook. And you can find all of our podcasts on Apple and uh, Google Play and all of those other um, podcast recommendation stores. Uh, I'm joined this week on a Thursday and usually because... Basically, we didn't really watch any of the games last weekend. But I'm joined by the uh, nicest man in Cornish Rugby podcasting, Ben Eustace. How you doing, Ben? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Nice to see you. And I'm also joined live from a travel tavern somewhere near uh, Southampton, uh, Chinese Lensman. Not at all racist. Got a can of Fanta delivered to my room. I hope, just hope you've got your big plate, Doug. <laughs> You're there for the World Test Championship, mate? Uh, yeah, to watch the rain delays at the World Chess- Test Championship. Nice. Might not be the World Chess Championship. Well, you never know. There might be some of that going on. Indians love a bit of chess, don't they, apparently? Um, that's neither confirmed or denied. Uh, this is the, the third podcast this week from the Mall Over podcast conglomerate, which may be the first time ever. Adam and I did a long snapper earlier in the week basically shaming England's test match performances. Uh, there was a long snapper the other night, and then here we are to preview long the... snapper twice for us. Did I? Yeah. I meant long leg. Did I, did I say long snapper instead of long leg? Yeah. Then I am a dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well... That's that seems to be uh, unanimous. <laughs> <laughs> I, rest, I rest my case, Your Honour. Um, with that in mind, then, should we talk about some Premiership semi-final previews? I mean, if you have to, I've been quite enjoying having four or five days without any thoughts of rugby. It's been quite nice. Have you really? Why is that? What? Why have you enjoyed not thinking about rugby? Uh, because I've worked on rugby every week for the last year and a half, nearly two years. Oh, all right. Keep with the right. exception of the first lockdown. But... The, at least this weekend, we're getting to the pinnacle of the season. We, we, we're, really, uh, we're really at the business end now. And if last weekend there's anything to go by, and I, and I only watched the highlights of um, Exeter versus Sale. But if that is anything to go by, this weekend is going to be an absolute titanic battle. Uh, before we get into it, 
Um, I've asked a couple of uh, friends of the pod, um, one who is entirely neutral, um, to to give a view on sale, and uh, former Exeter chief Chris Bentley, who's going to give his view on the Exeter Chiefs. Hello, you good folk. It's all over. JB here. Uh, I have been speaking to many neutrals in and around the Manchester slash sale area. And there seems to be quite an appetite for what I would call the pre-final of the Gallagher Premiership. Now, the reason it's a pre-final, not a semi-final, is because whoever wins this will then have to play another game against either Harlequins or Bristol. But that won't be the final. This game on the weekend is the final. It strikes me that Steel Sharp and Steel, these two teams are phenomenally good. They're phenomenally physical. They play the game in the way the game was designed to, to be played. Uh, but I think Sale might have the edge this weekend. In fact, I'm pretty certain they do. The loss against Exeter last weekend could have been psychologically damaging for Sale because Sale did everything right. And even when they got everything right, they still didn't win. The... Areas that Samson's pointed out that you need to strengthen are the set piece. I understand that's all they've been doing this week. And I think they'll find a way in order to combat what Exeter do really well. Interestingly, Samson spoke not of the scrum, which I would have spoke about, but the mall defence. And he thinks in terms of physicality, they have parity, but they just haven't practiced the technicality of what they need to do enough around the mall area which I think is quite an interesting thing. In terms of selection, this is really interesting now because these two teams will be playing a week after the last time they played, but they will be far less strong than they were first time round. Cell Sharks are missing AJ McGinty. Uh, Cam Neal sounds like he's out for a long, long time. And it's un- it's uncertain whether Akka van der Merwe will be back, although allegedly he'll be given every chance to. And there's also the other element of this, which no one's really talking about. Lou Diego might play. If Lou Diego plays, that is enormous. Uh, obviously, on the extra side, they're missing Skinner. They're definitely missing Ewers. Uh, I think, is it Kirsten or the Marlin might be out? But here's a thought I've had. How big do extra Chiefs need to be in the back five in order to, to accommodate Sam Simmons? I don't know if that's an unfair thing to say, but it does strike me that they just get the biggest men in the back five in order to make sure that Sam Simmons can play. Now, when they start depleting that stock of enor- enormous bodies, does Sam Simmons' strength then become a weakness? And if so, are they at that tipping point where they need a little bit more reinforcement? I imagine they might be drafting in Don Armand from out, from out in the cold. That would be very interesting. Sale Sharks' biggest admission is going to be AJ McGinty. No doubt about that. Um... And they'll be uh, replacing him directly with Rob Dupree. This is certainly the implication that Sanderson gave uh, yesterday. Um, Rob Dupree is a guy with all the physicality of his brothers and the passing ability of, well, his brothers. So how that's going to go down, I don't know. I don't think it's a like-for-like replacement. Uh, Other than that, I think in the back line... Sale have got the beating of Exeter. I think up front they've got the beating of, of Exeter. I think they'll learn from what they did wrong. And I think they'll win the pre-final uh, in order to lift the Gallagher Premiership trophy 
Well, not officially this weekend, but it may as well be officially this weekend. So that's my little preview of the game. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Okay, so here goes. Um, my name's Chris Bentley, and I used to play for the Chiefs 10 years ago now, but I was employed for a previous six years after that in the corporate team uh, for a 13-year career, 125 first-team games, though only 98 were in the league. I have let go of the fact that um, selection for the league games is all that counts for the Centurions board, honestly. Moving on. Um, I think that uh, the big game was played last weekend. I think Sale came with their gun team looking to take everything back to the AJ Bell. And unfortunately, they lost their magical unicorn, as uh, Alex Sanderson calls him, AJ McGinty. And I just don't see, with Rob Van de Priest, they're going to be anywhere near as impressive to take on the Chiefs. Um, it's going to be who can handle with the knocks that have been taken out of them, because Chiefs have lost a big chunk of their back row. Um, Vermeulen's out injured, Ewers is suspended, Skinner is going to be suspended. So I'm not sure if Kirsten's going to be fit or not. There's a phone call in the background, I'll walk away. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to have uh, any of our gun back rower than Simo. However, I think that the Chiefs losing um, the big box in the back row is not as dangerous as... Sale losing McGinty and I, I honestly think that Chiefs are going to comfortably win this I think you could see in Sanderson's demeanour in the post-match interview how much it dented him and they are a completely different team without McGinty all of the good things came from him playing well um, I think the Chiefs coming down again the following week will be there and I've, I've noticed a huge amount of rhetoric from Sanderson talking about emotion and brotherhood and all of this and he's trying to engender the the Saracens mantras that made them very strong that takes time to build Chiefs have got 15 years of building a culture that is absolutely tough as teak and I think that Sale know that they're going to throw everything at the Chiefs the Chiefs will eat it all up and go straight back at them the fact that Nolsey might also make the mix off the bench, bringing a bit of impact. Um, I'm, I'm, I can't see anything beyond the Exeter Chiefs comfortably winning this one. And I'm more excited, in all honesty, to see how Bristol and Quinns do, because Quinns decided early not to push for a home semi-final, rested everyone. And I think that Chiefs are going to grind out a comfortable win. Harlequins Bristol is going to be fascinating because you've literally got two swashbuckling teams. The Quins even more so that just go, if you score 50, we'll score 55. Um, and I'm, I'm fancying Quins for a really crazy upset. There you go. That's it. Chica chica. Hope that works. Happy to record again if it's not at standard. I'm now getting my confidence, as you can tell. Ciao. Right. Interesting. Not a chat. Like getting other people to do our work for us. A little bit. A little bit, but I, yeah. I thought, you know... That's it, much... let's move on to the other game. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, now Bristol Quinns. Um, what do you, you know, how do you see this one, Ben? That it's going to be two very different semi-finals, but Exeter without Ewers and without Skinner and likely without Vermeulen, does that dis... I mean, of course it disadvantages them. How do you see them setting up to try and get the best out of Sam Simmons without those big boys there? I think they'll have to really... It's, it's difficult because I don't think Sale really kept a lot of their powder dry. I think they'll, they'll probably have to come at them the same way that they did on Saturday. Um, 
so <clears throat> possibly they might start both curries possibly and i think they would have to then worry about their breakdown which is something exeter have been caught out a couple of times in the last few weeks you know whether it's due to referees sort of picking them up a little bit or just the speed of the curries so i think that's where they might come a little bit unstuck if they're if they're short of a few back row players um did you say vermeulen's not not fit well vermeulen the talk is vermeulen is injured and unlikely to make it obviously we'll see tomorrow when they name the teams obviously ewers and ewers and skinner are both banned interesting to see like this week there's been a lot of um rhetoric from rugby twitter obviously about oh look at the the uh the audacity of Exeter for appealing those bands. How dare they? Why should they? Who the fuck do they think they are? Rob Baxter's this, and they should never be appealing those. It's the law. They chuck tackle lower. When in actual fact, the both guys got two week bands, right? So both two week bands would have mean would have meant that they missed the final anyway and the semi final. So literally, an appeal is a shot to fuck all, isn't it? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean. Without getting into it on those two red cards, I mean, I can't say I've seen the Ewers one, but the the Skinner one, it's just typical of most of the red cards this season. I get it. That's the way they're refereeing it. It's a red card. Personally, I don't think that it should be a red card because it's an accident and it's it's not far off a legal tackle. Um and it's not even worth getting into conversations anymore with people because people have either decided it is or it isn't. And and to me, I don't think it's improving the game. And I think that they would be a lot better off making sure people don't play once they're concussed rather than sending people off right, left and centre. Yeah. But we've got into that a million times. Um, I just think it does stretch extra a little thin. And if the Mullen and Kirsten were playing with Simmons, I'd, I'd back that back row, I think because it, it'd be hard as a bag of hammers. Uh, but if they've got a fill-in... I mean, who who do you think would come in? Would it be... Could be Armand. Could yeah. be uh, Capstick. Capstick, yeah. I mean, you, you'd almost sort of give the balance of power then ben, to ben, Sale, wouldn't you? Ben, yeah. ben, is Duke enjoying his dinner there, is he? He is, he's loving his dinner, yeah. Let me tell you who might be a left-field inclusion. Go on, then. Aaron Hinckley. Aaron Hinckley? Is he the lad that's recent? Has he been there a while? England under twenties joined from Gloucester at the start of like this year. Yeah, last season. I haven't seen hide nor hair of him, so I don't know if he's. Uh, I don't know if he's injured, but hell of a player. Maybe they're maybe they're just looking at work working him in, and the fact that they've had Ewers, Vermeulen, Kirsten. On, in such great form, Sam Skinner as well. That they just thought, well, you know, we don't, we don't need to, don't need to throw him in just yet. But I, I mean, talking a sale, I think <laughs> he's off again. He'd stop. Yeah. Um, I mean, McGinty played out of his skin um, on Saturday, but then he he picked up an injury, didn't he? Yeah, he's out. As so he's so out. Is, um, Cam Neild as well, who's out for quite a long time, I believe. And there's a chance that. Um, Van der Merwe might be out as well. Really? Um, I mean, without him and without McGinty, I, I 
I think life will be very difficult for them. Um, I've actually been quite impressed with Faf this season. Like he's reined it in a little bit, um, and actually I think he's played pretty well. Um, have you seen he's had his haircut? Yeah. Do you think he's going to be like um, Samson? What Lee? Not Samson Lee. <laughs> no, he like lose all his power when his hair's cut off. I mean, it, it's a bit of an odd. Well, just a bit strange, isn't it? Maybe he's just had enough. I, I think, to be honest, I think Exeter can cope with their absences better than Sale can cope with theirs. Um, the only thing I would say is they didn't really use Tuolagi very much. So if they pick him and they've got that route one option, that'll make life a lot easier for whoever comes in at 10. Um, well, it'll be, it'll be uh, Dupria, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess it will be. And, and we all know what, how much Doug rates him. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you've got to make extra favourites at home. I mean, they didn't play very well last week until they went down to 14, bizarrely enough. Um, and then they became almost unbeatable. I, I thought um, Townsend came on and made a difference. Um, and maybe the intensity that Sale played at just, you know, was too much for them to keep up for, a, you, for 80 minutes. But you'd think Exeter probably will game plan it and, yeah. and probably it'll be a bit, a bit more comfortable for them. Doug, that's obviously a, a, an extra sort of game plan, isn't it? Bringing a slightly more high-intensity Stu Townsend off the bench instead of Jack Maunder. I know you commented on um, the level of neck on the Exeter Chiefs last Friday. Um, weird pictures, man. They were weird, weren't they? And Jack Maunder needing scaffolding did make me giggle. Um, <laughs> but, like, Maunder is a very... He's very Rigglesworth-esque, isn't he? He's quite... You don't see him snipe very much. He's, he's inherently a passing nine. And then they bring Townsend on, who does offer that that sniping threat. And they did, you know, as I say, only I watched on the highlights, but they did look a, a more threatening team when they had that sort of that option at nine. Um, yeah, but... Is, is Townsend coming on with a brief, like, this is what we're doing now, do this? Because yeah. Well, I'm not for a minute having that he's a better nine than Jack Maunder. Well, no, it's horses for well, horses. there's another Maunder as well. Sam Maunder, I think. I think well, he's there. I don't know. I think he was a 10, wasn't he, or a fullback? Anyway. Um, yeah, he's not, he's not a better scrum half. With, there's no question of that. I just think potentially um, he had a different brief to Maunder. I, I, I think Maunder's one of the best in the best in the country. Personally, I'd, I'd have him around the England squad. Um, and of the of the, ni- of the nines that are available for all four clubs in the semis, he'd probably be the one that I picked. I think Stuart Townsend's just uh, just had a good game. Yeah, it's a bit like the the Ben Young's Danny Care type scenario, isn't it? Like with England, you you bring on somebody who's a little bit more. No, but I don't think he. Well, I don't think he is more of whatever. I, I think he came on with a, a different brief to what Morden has started the game with. Right. Okay. If you, if you've been game planning all week to play nine in a certain way, you can't necessarily 
just switch that off and maybe somebody sat on the bench with direct access to coaching decisions and 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 um sort of being privy to the to the change in game plan can bring that to the game where it's harder to get that message to a nine that's already playing right yeah yeah i think baxter's particularly good at changing game plans you know and we've said before he's not even shy about telling him on the tv what he's going to do after half time and i think doug's probably right they probably just said look you're gonna have to tie that back row down a bit especially because um you know they'd started with neald and curry but then they had curry and curry so I think undoubtedly they're going to go curry, curry. two curries. Yeah. Two curries, one rice, or two curries, one bread? Two curries, one bread, mate. Two curries, one rice, one bread. One rice, one bread. Hurrah, <laughs> hurrah. <laughs> two curries, one rice. You strike me as a prawn butterfly, man, Ben. No, I don't like to risk prawns from a takeaway. I like, no. um, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Very risk averse. Yeah, so <laughs> you stick know. with stick with chicken. There's oh, a fullback if ever I've seen one. Yeah, <laughs> a few more games on the wing. I'd be going for prawns, but you know, just <laughs> stick, stick with the classics. Um, but back to to extra sale quickly. Then, how do you how do you see it going on Saturday, Doug? Obviously, Sale went to to extra last week with everything they had to try and take it back to the AJ Bell. That's my opinion. I mean, do you think they've got anything left in the tank or are they going to go to that well one more time? You know, I'm speaking without qualified information because I didn't see the game um, because I was elsewhere. But it would strike me that for for Sale to have gone to Sandy Park and look like they were dominating, they threw the kitchen sink at Exeter. And as we discussed last week, they've... They've sort of shot their bolt. So I don't think they can play in a different way. So Exeter know how to combat that now. And they took them to a cleaners in the second half, a man down. So if I was saying, I'd probably be very concerned about that. Um, especially having lost who the, I mean, I think you can write sail off just on the fact that McGinty won't be playing because Rob Dupree's shit. They've got to play, they've got to play a different game out of 10. Well, they'll have to play off Faf, in my opinion. I, I just or they go. I I would imagine you'll see a lot of Tuolangi or Van Rensburg at first receiver. Yeah, I think yeah. they're going to have to just use route one with Tuolangi and and um, the two Dupriers, and um, really attack the breakdown when Exeter have got the ball. That that's really their hope is to um, disrupt Exeter's possession. Um, because they their forwards did have the nudge on Exeter until about the hour mark last time, so you know win win some penalties and almost out Exeter Exeter by getting it into the corner and and maybe get a few points that way. But I think I agree with both of you. I think they they've unloaded both barrels now, and I I, I with those injuries and with um. Extra having another week to have a look at them. I think Extra have got to be pretty strong favourites. You ever see one of like one of those sort of comedy fights where 
a bloke punches someone and he like gets all hyped up and punches him and and then it cuts to the bloke who's just sort of turned his head and then he sort of looks back at him and then crushes his head into a pulp that yeah i i liken it sort of akin to uh, sylvester salone in over in over the top if you've ever seen that with the armrest the arm wrestling movie no i've never seen that what get on it by the way and he has this he has this move about arm wrestling it's it's a good film well it's a Sylvester Sloan film but he's got this move where he's in like an arm wrestling champion and he comes back from adversity obviously and he's got this move where he kind of grips over the top and he's just about to lose like the world arm wrestling championships and he does this move and he thinks the guy thinks he's going to win, and all of a sudden Sylvester Sloan comes back and slams him, and, oh, right. and he turns his like, he, tur- he turns he turns his hat turns his turns his hat backwards, goes over the top, and it's almost like a like a symbolism. As soon as he turns his hat backwards, you know it's in trouble. Russell, you concussed. Yeah, mate, that <laughs> film sounds absolutely shit. Like. I can't I never believe. Thought, I never thought I'd hear the phrase the arm wrestling movie. I can't believe you've not seen it. Was it on a double bill with the Paper, no, Scissors, Stone movie? It was like, it was mid, I guess it was mid 80s with like, it was around the same time as, as, um, oh God. Chess the movie. No, the first. Backgammon <laughs> like, Revenge. It was after like, uh, after First Blood and between, like maybe after First Blood 2. Between the two Rambo movies, he made a movie about. Well, I don't. Arthur. I don't know the exact dates. I'm just saying it was like mid '80s. It was when Schwarzenegger was making Commando and Predator, and he was rivaling it with um, a movie about arm wrestling. Apparently, <laughs> just had a random thought. You know, it'd make a good Wogan in the movie adaption of Wogan. <laughs> Who? Cranston. Brian Cranston. I mean, that's just come from absolutely, absolutely nowhere. But it'd be, um, it'd be Michael Sheen, wouldn't it? No, he, he can't do everyone, Ben. <laughs> I think he'd give it a good go. Um, right. Marlon Wayans in one of his films. <laughs> what, just play everyone? Yeah. Um, or Martin Lawrence in Big Mama's House. Hogan the movie, you'd need, um, you'd need an Ollie Reed, wouldn't you? And a George Best. Yeah. That I mean, weird, that weird guy that was on the Antiques Roadshow. What everyone? Just, just you, Ben. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm talking about arm wrestling movies, and you're talking about the Antiques Roadshow. What, what have we become? Um, very quickly then, prediction, Ben, for uh, Exeter Sale. Uh, Exeter by fifteen. Doug. Um. Not by that many, but extra. Maybe seven. I think it'll be I think it'll be closer than, than we all think, but I, I'm pretty sure extra will sneak it. For the fundamental fact that I think that sale through everything they had at Exeter last week and they still couldn't get over the line. And as mentioned, without AJ McGinty, it's gonna be an unbelievable ask for them. So yeah, Exeter for the win. Uh, let's move on then very quickly to the second semi-final, which is at uh, Ashton Gate, Bristol versus Harlequins. And before we have a little chat about it, it's uh, I'd like to welcome 
friend of the pod, Ryan Keyshaw, and Tony, who's one of the hosts of Bears Beyond the Gate, as well as uh, Joe Breaker, who is one of uh, the rugby, uh, at Rugby Quinn's people on Twitter, and one of our fancy rugby draft. Hi guys, thanks very much for having me back on. Uh, missed you, missed you all. Hopefully, we will catch up soon. Uh, just to talk about uh, Bristol's um, semi-final uh, game, um, I think this is completely different to the last season when we had to go to Wasps away and were completely schooled and dominated by them. Um, I think I think we've just been consistent over the season. Um, but there, there are some interesting points. I, mean, I think my first point would be selection. Pat's now got a pretty full fit squad. Who is going to miss out? Um, does he start with Siali in the centre or Piers O'Connor? Or does he have Piers O'Connor on the bench? Um, these are brilliant headaches for Pat to have. Um, I know that Carl Sinclair's back. Um, and, and I also know that uh, Sir Charles has been revving it up in training, apparently. Um, also, we have the, the, the big debate at Scrum Half. Does he go with Andy Urin, who's been consistent and brilliant all through the season, or Harry Randall, who can actually inspire those magic moments like he did against Leicester, where he ran through the whole team to, to score? Brilliant individual moment. I think the other thing that we're, we're facing is the rest weekend, which was enforced on us by the COVID break by London Irish. Does that play in our favour, that the team you know, rested, or the fact that we haven't had the match game time to actually get our tactics back into place which which comes on to my third point which is form um all the other teams and the fair to quins have been really increasing their form going into this whereas we've dipped a bit i fear um hopefully we can pull it back and and, and we had the big match experiences especially from going away to toulon and winning down there without any fans so uh my last point i think that the crowd especially uh, the Bristolian crowd, who are very noisy at Ashton Gate, will make a real difference. So uh, I'm predicting, um, predictably, uh, a Bristol win. Um, But I think it's going to be a fascinating match. And obviously, Harlequins will throw the kitchen sink at us. I just don't think their defence is up to it. Thanks a lot, guys, and uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. Cheers, bye. Hi, it's Tony Cox from the Bears Beyond the Gate podcast. Like most Bristol fans, I'm pretty confident that we're going to get the job done against Harlequins and get to Twickenham. Uh, Pat Lamb said earlier in the week that he's got 94% of his senior squad available for selection. Uh, That means we're going to put out probably the strongest 23 that we've put out all season. That's uh, not underestimating Harlequins either. We know the likes of Dombrant, Kerr and Smith can change a game. But we're pretty sure we've got the the attacking power to to get the job done. In fact, we think this is the people's semi-final. This will be the one to watch. Lots of fast, free-flowing rugby. Meanwhile, Exeter versus Sale is going to be a hard physical battle. If it was Harry Potter, it would be the Dementors against the Death Eaters. So, Bristol, confident of a win. We're looking forward to a trip to Twickers and picking up our first Premiership title. So, Saturday is Harlequins' first Premiership semi-final since 2014. If you ask me... Would we get into the semi-finals after our hammering against Exeter at the beginning of the season? I'd have laughed in your face. Um, so the fact we've made it here is an amazing achievement for us. Um, we're obviously missing some of our key players throughout the season. So 
I don't think we'd have got here without Andre Esterhazen. I think he is world class. Personally, I think he's the second best inside centre in the world. It's just unfortunate for him that the best inside centre in the world is Damien De Alando, who also plays for South Africa. Um, so we're missing him. We're missing, obviously, Will Evans, who, uh, again, has been tremendous this year. Uh, but I've been incredibly impressed by Jack Kenningham, who's stepped in for him. I think Kenningham's got a bit of Evans about him, but also reminds me a bit of Chris Robshaw. Um, so uh, I'm sure some people argue he's too slow then, but he's a really, really good flanker for us, uh, 20, 21-year-old. And Mike Brown, club talisman, um, who's obviously off at the end of the season, um, and Tyrone Green has done a really great job replacing him. He uh, looks adept at fullback or wing. So missing those guys. Um, despite that, though, I just have a sneaky feeling we might have a chance. I, it might be a case of pre-game excitement, but... I think we do have a chance to maybe get one over on Bristol here. I don't think they've been at their fluent best the last few weeks. Um, didn't play last week as well because of the COVID game against London Irish. So whether a little cold or not, it could be argued. It's one of those we've got a puncher's chance for. Um, so I'd probably put us, maybe, it's really head over heart. It's probably an 80-20 chance with 80% being Bristol, 20% being Quinns. But what, that's one in five. And so we could win one in five of these games. And we might well win at the weekend. Um if we do, I think our scrums can be on top form. Uh, I think front row of Marler, Baldwin and Lowe, possibly as good as the league's got form-wise right now. Uh, Wilco Lowe is massively underrated as well. Um, cornerstone of the pack. Um, so they've got to have a good game. But we've also just got to run things off Danny Kerr and Marcus Smith as well. So my heart definitely says Harlequins. Head, I think we've got a one in five shot, but it might be that one in five. So I think we might do it. Maybe Quinns by four is where I'm going to go for the game on Saturday. So there we go. The Bristol people think Bristol are going to win easily. Joe is just hoping that uh, Quinns can put up a good show and he thinks he, they might sneak it. Um, Doug, you've spent probably more time at Ashton Gate than most people this season, I would imagine, uh, other than Bristol themselves in your in your line of work. Do you think this is going to be as comfortable for Bristol as everybody thinks? Um, it's a tough one, man. Like, I really don't like Harlequins for obvious reasons that we've been through a thousand times on this podcast. I'm not going to go through them again. They're all cunts. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the massive circle wank at the end of the game last week was absolutely unbearable, but I'm not going to say too much more about that. They're all cunts. Um, but what they do have is the... I mean, it's a super rugby match, right? So it's going to be over scores last. It's, it's, whether, it's whether Quinns can keep pace with Bristol, I think. I think Bristol in defence is slightly better. Um, but if anything, do you think, do you think having that week off, that COVID week off that Bristol was supposed to play the London Irish, do you think that's going to have a an impact, either positive or negative, Ben? Um, it's a weird one. Like, you look at the NFL. It doesn't help in the NFL, does it? Not really. And I'm, I'm not sure it will help here. But the, the, the problem with these games is they're ridiculous and they shouldn't be happening. 
you know, Bristol have won the league. They don't need to beat Harlequins in a semi-final and then whoever in the final to, to have won the league. They've already won it. These are it's three games that don't need to happen and in player welfare terms, there I've just saved you six concussions. Um, but the fact is they've got to play them. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's, the one thing I would say is it, it's incredible how quickly the halo slips. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm getting away from what I think is going to happen in the game, but you go back a year and look at Exeter, the, like the public perception of Exeter and Bristol, where it was then, and now look at it after what's happened in the last week and half, two weeks, with Henry Slade, Pat Lamb at Leicester. You know, there's rumours going around that it was convenient for both sides to have some COVID cases for that Bristol-London Irish game because the Irish qualified for Europe and Bristol got a week off. Um, there may or may not have been some stuff about London Irish players going out on the piss on the Saturday when uh, their game was cancelled. So I'm getting away from the point, but what, what I'm trying to say is this game is... The only thing I can see happening in this game is they're just being tri-tennis and a few people get injured. And if the wrong people get injured for Bristol, then the winner is Sale and Exeter wins the league, which is a nonsense because Bristol have been best all season. Yeah, Ben? I think if, if Quinns defend the way they've defended in the last couple of games I've seen them, I'm thinking of the Bath game in particular, Bristol will carve them to pieces because Bath didn't play particularly well, um, but they got back into the game four or five times you know, almost length of the pitch tries. Um, you know, they were breaking the line at, at ease. And Bristol are a far better oiled machine than Bath are. And if you break the line and Rodriguez anywhere around or Piatau's anywhere around, you, you're just going to leak tries. So unless Quinn's shore up the defence, they could, they could ship 40 or 50. Um, I, and I just think if you look through that team, the two teams, you could probably argue that Bristol are better in 12 or 13 positions out of the 15. You, you'd probably only say 10 and Marla for his faults would, would be standout and get into the Bristol team. Yeah, Marcus Smith can't do it all on his own, can he? And- no. Nah. Unfortunately for for Quinns, people like you. I think I think it's likely that Urine will probably start. I'm pretty sure. I mean, as good as Randall played against Leicester the other week, Andy Urine's been standout week in week out for Bristol. Yeah, I I I think Doug said it a few months ago that Urine's got a big error in him every game, and I think that's true. I, I think in the long term, Randall's a better player, but. You're probably right in this instance. Um, you might edge care if, if you know if you if you sum the two up. But I just you know, it's not to say Quinns don't have good players. And you know, Tyrone Green's look really good in attack, although his sort of uh, sort of classic fullback play hasn't been quite so good. He dropped a few balls against Bath. He was um, just last weekend as well. Yeah. Um, Don Brandt obviously is a really good player, but 
you know, Bristol have got some real resources in in the back row. Yeah, you, you how... just think they're going to overpower them somehow. Um, but you no, know, I... Quinns are probably where they were expect. You know, they're probably at the top end of their expectations for the season. Well, it's like they're like Northampton were last year, where they sort of fell into the playoffs and mm. didn't really have any expectations of winning. Yeah, I think for for Quinns, you know, if had Brown had not been suspended, had Esther Hazen not be suspended, you know, all of a sudden you look at Care, Smith, Esther Hazen, Marchant, Brown at fullback. It starts to it starts to look like they've got a bit of a game plan. At the moment, I don't see who they play at twelve that's going to worry Bristol at all. No, and I think and and that's where I think it it falls down for Quinns. You add to that as you mentioned the back row. Um, you know, you don't know who their their starting back row is going to be. Don Brandt's going to play eight. Would it be Chisholm at six? Um, Law Day. Uh, Luke Wallace played last weekend. If I'm right, um, yeah. I mean, the kid Kenningham's a good player, but you know he's coming up against Earl or um, Thomas or Lewis. You know, they're they're all, you know, they're they're much further on in their development. I think even with with Brown, I mean, the way Bristol play kind of negates a fullback like Brown because they don't really kick it. You know, when they played Leicester, they they didn't kick it to Stewart at all because they knew he'd catch it. They, they tried to turn um, Nadolo. Yeah. Um, and, and when they were kicking, they weren't kicking the territory. They were, they were almost using it as, a, as an attacking weapon. So, you know, your two wingers are going to have to be very sharp. But if, if Bristol feel that they're going to punch gaps, then they won't be kicking much at all. Yeah, and I think it's likely that they'll they'll probably spend a lot of time with ball in hand, and if Quinns try and do the same, that's where Dan Thomas, Earl, yeah, uh, Luatua, you know, whoever of those play, Nathan Hughes will probably start and then come off. You know, their their Bristol will probably go after the breakdown in the knowledge that Quinns will probably have to to run it pretty much from anywhere because they won't want to kick it to Piatau or to. Um, Malins uh, or to who who's been you know Malins has been superb wherever he's played across the, the bat line for Bristol. Uh, oh Morahan, um, which is probably a likely back three with O'Connor and Rajendra in the midfield. So, I mean, it, like Purdy, yeah. I, I mean, in a way, they might be better off kicking the ball to them if they do it well because when they were running the ball out against uh, Leicester um, they did get themselves into trouble a, a couple of times because they really weren't kicking the ball away and they were running perhaps more than they should have done um, and that if if they can get a kick chase nailed that might be almost their best opportunity but that is massively high risk yeah and you're relying on very good execute on a on a high risk kick game like that you're relying on good execution from your kicker and yeah. a good chase to back it up and the presence of mind of the back row to to be turning the ball I mean, over to be honest whatever quins do whatever game plan they put in they're gonna have to execute that 100 percent to have a chance because 
as we say, they're just further back in their development than Bristol are. And, and they don't have, and, and they're almost a similar team to Bristol. So they're going to be, there's no, they're not going to bend Bristol in the way that maybe Sale, Sale would, because Sale would play completely differently to, yeah. to Bristol, whereas they're both playing to similar strengths. The other, the other thing is that there's, there's a high chance that a high degree of probability, in fact, that one of these teams is going to get out to a really good start. Yeah. If it's Quinns that get three tries up in the first 15 minutes, then you've got a game on. Um, I think that's the only, I, I think the first 10 minutes is going to be blood and thunder, and that will pretty much decide the rest of the game, really. Please. Yeah. I mean, you're going to hate it then. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be super, like, tackles optional, literally. Probably a game of touch. It's, it's... There'll, there'll definitely be a red card because all the offloading, someone will miss time and tackle on an offloading player or something like that. So I'm, I'm pretty sure there's going to... If you can get money on a red card, I would put it on this game. We've got we've got the two semifinals that we want, though, haven't we? Like, they, you say in boxing that styles make fights. But, like, as far as rugby matches go, they're... It makes for two more interesting games with the, the two styles of teams, doesn't it? Or the four styles of teams, should I say? I wasn't listening, to be fair. <laughs> I think <laughs> it, it depends what you prefer, doesn't it? it? You know, if you if you wanted two clashes of styles, then you'd be better off having the semifinals the other way around, wouldn't you? But no, I just wanted you're to be get an Bristol point. final, so I actually liked both the teams in it. Yeah. I mean, that's a pr- I think other than the people in Manchester and the people in uh, Southwest London, I think most people want a Bristol Exeter final, don't they? They know that they're the best two sides, and you know, if you were to canvas, what is it, 120 percent of the Premiership? So 100% of the Premiership, no, 80% of the Premiership. I can't do maths, is the, uh, is the outcome of this. Shocker. If you canvass all the other fans of the Premiership outside of those top four, you would think that Bristol and Exeter would be the, the people that people wanted to see in the final. Okay, great. Thanks. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, a statement. Ask me a question. Oh, we, we thought that was quite profound, so we, um, yeah, left, left me to hang. Um, and it, and it set. Talk, talk, talking, yourself, talking, maybe, your shit questions. Oh, bore off, you fucking midget. <laughs> um, talking of talking of shambles, um, you see, the Premiership uh, Premiership Rugby have now withdrawn and cancelled ten thousand tickets for the for the Prem final last week or uh, next week. Um, the overarching thing is because it's due to COVID numbers and what they were expecting to have and or have available to be able to get people into Twickenham. Um, I heard elsewhere that they'd actually, when they opened the, the ticket ballot up, a large portion of tickets was um, hoovered up by corporate, uh, people corporate. houses, people who drive Land Rovers, people who shop at Fortnum and Mason. Correct. All of those people. So that when it came to the final, 
none of the people that sort of a, a very small amount of people that actually support any of the teams that made the final can actually go. Yeah. So what? So what they've done is they've said, well, all we'll cancel ten thousands worth of tickets, which were the ten thousand that uh, that they put out on general sale, and then they're going to reallocate uh, four five thousand each to the clubs that win the semi-finals. So so they haven't cancelled. Everyone's everyone's saying, oh, look, they've cancelled ten thousand tickets. Those ten thousand tickets that have been cancelled are being reallocated. Five thousand each to the two clubs that win semi-finals. They fucked it. Wow! So it's probably no consolation if you've got one of the tickets. How? Absolutely not. How long have we been doing this podcast? Uh, <laughs> well, we're into our sixth year, are we? Is this right? Yeah, you still seem surprised at rugby's ability to fuck everything up. <laughs> oh no, I'm not surprised. I'm just just sharing that that level of information with you. Um, yeah. There's a couple of other sort of slight bits I want to talk very briefly out about in, in rugby. But for, before we go on to that, what we'll do is a uh, very quick prediction for Bristol Quinns, Ben. Uh, Bristol easily. Doug? Um, Bristol, constantly, yeah. 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 I agree. So we're looking at a Bristol uh, semi final. Didn't get that, mate. Uh, so Harlequins by 10 then. Harlequins by 10. And Sale by 4. Absolutely. Well, when you have to repeat yourself three times, mate, because you travel to having Wi-Fi, it doesn't really work. A <laughs> <laughs> um, couple of, yeah, a couple of quick things, as I say. Uh, did you see the news report um, from the American news outlet about Tom Young's this <laughs> yes. week? Yes. <laughs> Where they said Leicester Tigers prostitute Tom Young's. It's been I mean, that could take a number of ways, couldn't it? It could be. I mean, I would like to take is it. The it, best, the it best depends just, what you pay, doesn't it? Is he is he just stood outside the Mattioli Woods in a red leather miniskirt? <laughs> Imagine the scenes. <laughs> Stilettos and fishnets. Incredible. That's cauliflower ears. Five foot six wide. <laughs> Ear love. Um, and not Jack in dicks off straight. <laughs> Wank, wanking dicks off to the side. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I mean, links for children listening. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to all your new listeners. Uh, and the other piece of amazing news, uh, much better than Tom Young's being called a prostitute, is. Um, Josh McNally, friend of the pod, RAF Corporal uh, Armourer. Josh McNally has been called up to the England training squad, which I think is fantastic and very well-deserved. He won um, Bath supporters or Bath player forwards of the year, forward of the year at their recent uh, awards ceremony. Which when your um, team contains the forwards that that team does is quite an honour. Yeah, when you think yeah. about it. Mercer and Faletau and... Miles Reed, yeah, Underhill, Bayless, Dunn. Um, so, yeah, so fair play to Josh. Hopefully, you know, you never know what happens. I'm assuming it's, you know, it's a, a 
Well, the last brave happened. It was on the back of London Irish getting relegated, wasn't it? So you yeah. hope this time he can make an impression and kick on. I hope so. I mean, he's probably in a in an in an age bracket that Eddie isn't really looking at. And if you're an English qualified lock, you know, with, with any substance, all of a sudden we're not strong at lock, are we? We've we've gone sort of backwards in that regard. And he fits the sort of um, George Cruz model of tight head lock, doesn't he? <laughs> He does. He's uh, what you would say unfashionable, but the way he sidestepped Danny Kerr against Quinns, I th- you know, that was a joy to behold. So, you know, hopefully you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Do you? Um, obviously the rave ribbons suspension um, stands in his favor. Obviously Charlie Yules is well thought of within the England setup. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but there you go. Um, Right. Any other business? Well, then, before we get into the rugby, uh, out of the rugby, I know this won't go down well with you two, but after all that talk of Ealing all year, it did amuse me that Saracens absolutely scorched earth them. Oh, yeah. We we ought to mention that, didn't we? Yeah. 60-0 in the semi-final. Ealing were their own worst enemies, really. They They could have easily scored three or four tries. Um, knocked on over the line, had a couple of five meter line outs. Itoji pinched a couple. They, they had opportunities. They, they, but look, Saracens will do that to pretty much seven of the Premiership teams. Yeah. So let's not, you know, write um, eating off. I don't think they're as bad as sixty nil suggests. No, um, I don't think so either. It, it was just, you know, I think rumours of the. The demise were a little bit uh, overdone. I think it, I think it will make the Premiership quite interesting next year if, if they're able to put in performances like that. I think um, the thing you've got to recognise with that Saracens team is as well they've not announced any signings yet. No, I mean fuck knows who they're going to get. I mean they could literally get anyone. Well, they'll they'll, um, they'll have um, Earl and Malins back. Won't yeah, they? so that, you know, back Ezekiel yeah. back. Rhodes uh, retired. I was going to say Rhodes is retired, and uh, is Lazowski is coming back, or is this a permanent transfer? Oh, yeah, Lazowski's coming back. I think Rhodes was a was a fantastic player for them for probably five or six years. Um, so you know, fair play to him. Uh, quite a big favourite of mine. Um, but yeah, it's going to make the league interesting because, like you say. The finalists could you could have predicted them after about two weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, whereas maybe next year it might uh, make make the semi-finals at least a little bit more interesting. But then does it if nobody can come up into the Premiership? What's the point? Well, I I honestly believe that um, they're both going to get promoted anyway. What this season? Yeah, it it does it does flag up something, doesn't it? it? Because it never, if you think they're going to be there's if there's thirteen teams, that means there'll have to be a bye week, which yeah. means there'll have to be bye weeks at the like the other two top divisions, fourteen in Europe are fourteen teams. They've expanded the Champions Cup to eight teams, so yeah, two more into the Challenge Cup would give you six teams in the Challenge Cup, which is effectively what they had last year anyway. So. What what do you what do you make randomly of this uh, the Super Rugby the South African Super Rugby sides 
joining the Pro 14? Well, it's a desperate, it's, I mean, it's pretty transparent. It's a de- sort of desperate chance to make a bullshit league relevant. And all it's going to do is make that bullshit league even more bullshit. Even more bullshit. And there's also talk of then them being incorporated into the Champions Cup, isn't there? Well, I'm not opposed to that because I don't care about the uh, Champions Cup. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, that, 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 that end of that discussion. Um, any other rugby chat before we move on? Okay. Ben, any other business? Um, I think yours is going to be TV related as well. But um, if, if you get the chance, Clarkson's Farm is really quite entertaining on Amazon Prime. Um, so Jeremy Clarkson, the farmer that runs his, uh, estate retires. So Clarkson decides to give it a go. Um, and, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it with, uh, hilarious results. <laughs> yeah, from a, from a farming point of view, Ben, how, how does Jeremy get on? Jeremy doesn't get on very well. However, he does have a helper who reminds me of about, 25% of the people I know, um, <laughs> which um, which perhaps makes it a little bit more familiar for me. But um, yeah, Jer- Jeremy's perhaps not unnatural would be the, the phrase I'd use. Oh, Jeremy. Oh, well. Um, Doug, any other visits from you? Um, there was something, but I can't remember it now. Do you want me to go next while you remember it? Yeah, go on. Um, I just wanted to um, I wanted to talk a little bit about GB News, which is arguably one of the most amateurish setups I think I've seen for national television trying to pretend to be relevant. But more than that, it's always funny when news presenters read out comedy names. And Mike Oxlong is one of my favourites <laughs> ever. Um, and then for a, for another news anchor to um, to to go on a bit of a rant and tell people that they're stupid and childish and all sorts of stuff, it just just makes me laugh. Um, so GB News, you know, anybody that thinks it was going to be any good uh, is obviously sadly mistaken. Well, look. On on that, the um, the undertaking of making a, a TV show is extremely difficult. When you do it on a budget, it's even harder. And when you do it on a platform that, or when your premise is on based on a platform that people will take pleasure in ridiculing, it's even harder. I'm pretty sure that. Um, the people that are working on it doing the best they can content isn't something i agree with but also at the same time like channel four was ridiculed when it came out channel five was ridiculed when it came out and this has been ridiculed when it came out and, you know dave was ridiculed when that first emerged no i don't agree with the sentiment of the of the channel but i mean is it any more right wing than channel four is left wing yeah, Channel 4 has just been around for 30 years. Fair comment. I mean, did it, it, it is pretty much surely what everybody expected it to be, though, isn't it? 
Like it's no different to what. No, what, what it is is a, a, a new platform and a new channel that's come out and is trying to make content for a, a section of society that it perceives is underrepresented. Uh, excuse me. There you go. Um, and it's bloody difficult to make telly. So, and and the problem you've got is that a lot of the people that will poke fun at it are the are the people that will go onto Twitter and you know it's it's the um, Josh, what's his faces, and the Sam Larners of the world that are going to comment about GB News, aren't they? Isn't it? You know, people that are vastly and wholly unqualified to pass comment on the quality of a TV production, such yeah. as yourself, for us. I was going to say, I'm prob- <laughs> probably me as well. To be yeah, fair. you've just you've just lumped me into a group of people. That well, wait, on this subject, you are in that group. Uh, I'll keep saying it just in case I get tired of being a right-wing Nazi, which I am. Um, you know, it's the the subject matter is not to my liking, but it doesn't mean I'm going to ridicule a group of people that are doing their best, probably under very trying circumstances. They're probably not getting paid much money. Um, it's it's just it's just fucking hard to make telly. I think they're trying to make it Fox News, but on about a hundredth of the budget. Neil is not Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, he's probably got a few quid, but he hasn't got a few billion quid. Yeah, that's what, yeah, exactly. That's uh, what I mean. Um, I'm not sure we need it. So, no, yeah, but you're not sure you need it because you don't sit on that side of the fence. You're happy with the Guardian and Channel Four. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. is the problem. The whole problem with this, this society that like you're the arbitrator of what we need and what we don't need. If only I was, Doug, well, we'd, be, no, we'd be having a lot less red cards. The, 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 the verbal minority are the arbitrators of what people need and don't need. And it's not, it's not entirely right. Do you know what? If there wasn't a market for it, it wouldn't exist. So, and right. uh, there's, there's, Doug's in, there's Doug's interview for GB News. Yeah. Congrat- congratulations, <laughs> Doug. Doug. Doug's I know, after some countdown. Everything I've just said. Now, I'm not going to, those people. That, you know, there was a, a comment that I can't remember. Somebody, somebody that I follow on Twitter, um, another TV guy, said something about it. And then another game, guy came back and was like, oh, I can't believe these people are selling their souls to, to, to talk about this stuff. And I, I just replied with a quote that came from uh, Floyd Mayweather, which is that you can't, you can't feed your kids with principles. You know what I mean? These people have got to earn a living. I think that the acid... The acid test of it would be in lunatics. They're just making telly. They probably don't. You know, I go to rugby matches and cricket matches where I don't care about the outcome, but I still go. Don't don't have to love everything I do. Women's tennis. Tennis. (laughs) About the fucking women's tennis, I've sat through, hating every minute of it. What am I supposed to love it? Because I work on it. Do you think that people that work in abattoirs love it? Yeah, maybe if, I suggest they do. Fucking back off these people. They're just trying to make a bit of money to, you know, put a roof over their heads. To, to me, the test will be how much of it is reporting and how much of it is opinion. Because from from what you see of Fox News, a lot of that is people trying to. They're, they're you're sort of Tucker Carlson's and people like that who are very much telling people what to think. Whereas, you know, if it 
if it's reporting from a certain slant, well, that like you say, Channel Four reports from a certain slant as well, um, and you know they do teach you at school to try and recognise what that slant is that people are trying to persuade you with. But I think if it if it becomes more of a sort of sort of lecture kind of television, then, then don't watch it. Yeah. And what does it matter if it is? We listen to fucking Piers Morgan every morning for five well, years. Yeah, exactly. So what does it matter? <laughs> Just don't watch it. Let the people make their TV shows, make their money from it, and do do their shit, and then switch it off. Because ultimately, that that's again, I use the same word, but it's the arbitrator of success, isn't it? Whether people watch it or not, and if they don't, it won't exist. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm I'm in a group of people with Gardner and Lana. Yeah. <laughs> is 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 a comment I'd never thought I'd say. As we all know, you are a cunt. Well, <laughs> of that there is no doubt, <laughs> and I'm all right with it. Yeah. Um, right, Doug, what have you got no, to say? I don't, I don't need to do it. Do one now. I've I've I've, I've said my piece. Come at me, all forty of you. <laughs> um uh we've had some some more really cool interest in the Mallover Invitational. So make sure if you want to come down in October, October the 9th for the Mallover Invitational. Also, if anybody out there knows anybody who wants to get involved with some sponsorship for a set of jerseys that I'm gonna let Doug loose on designing. Oh, um, provided we could get a sponsor. Red armbands, little white circle in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, provided we could get a sponsor, I would love Genius. to arrange. I'd like to arrange. Um, I need a to before you uh, turn up. A set of a set of jerseys that we would look to uh, sell off to all the players at the end to raise a bit of money for for rugby against cancer. So if you know anybody out there that's looking to to do a bit of sponsorship for uh, tax deduction reasons, then please get in touch. (laughs) Or because they like charity, one or the other. Well, whatever. I'm not fussy, mate. I'm looking for about, I'm looking for about 600 quid. That's how much a set of shirts cost. 23 shirts. And every single one will hopefully get sold to raise money for Rugby Against Cancer. So if you're a business and you want to sponsor it, let me know. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. Things are coming together nicely. Um, finally, Ben, have a lovely birthday on Sunday. Ben, is, four, ben is 40 before we pod again, tipping the balance into middle age. And... Uh, yeah. I never got a shout out on my fortieth. You fucking I did. We probably we probably weren't even podcasting then. Well, we put, we might have been pod punching, chatting, or I don't know what we were doing. Was it two years ago you were forty? Yes, Russ. It was two years ago I was forty. Well, I remembered that. It's your birthday, like two weeks Sunday, isn't it? So just out your fucking mouth. <laughs> you, you you can have you can have one next week. <laughs> Fifth of July for everyone out there. That was that's a, a, that's that, that was that was a quite a, a a difference in the sentiments for us there, wasn't there? I'm just fed up of fucking Doug shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going. Uh, enjoy the Premiership semi-finals. 
Um, have a great weekend and hopefully we'll, we'll see you next week. Go well. Fair enough. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.